Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, suddenly this West Virginia recruiting beat that you weren't part of for like a year on the ground, and I'm, I've never really been a part of. Um, that's a cool place to be. <laughs> all, all the popular kids are coming to hang out now, I guess. Uh, kind of a run on things. Uh, the other night was some big predictions from the man known as the Oracle, Steve Wiltfong. Uh, a couple other people jumping in with crystal balls. A lot of texts coming in. Uh, as soon as Steve put in those crystal balls and wrote that story that went out the other night, um, my phone was blowing up from uh, people across the network, a couple people in Morgantown being like, hey, what's going on over there? I Things that have been building up, I feel like, for the last couple of years. We've kind of been training in this direction, and it it hasn't happened yet. So everybody doesn't, don't get too crazy, but it feels like it, we're kind of like right on the precipice of something special. Yeah, so much I want to hit on there. Um, so I'll go back to it in a minute. But to run things down here, we'll talk about what's upcoming because there's kind of a unique change in the schedule, a seven-on-seven, seven, which can be fun for various reasons, and then back to an elite camp. Um, we'll talk about what exactly crystal balls mean and what's the significance of Steve Wolfong chiming in. Uh, a little bit of basketball, any other subjects that come in. But let's spin it back to the, the I don't know, the most compelling thing this summer, even though the summer is barely underway. Heck, I didn't even start it yet, right? But maybe June is the beginning of the summer. And since the first of June, we've had camps and recruits and all these storylines. It seems like forever ago where it was very exciting to have four highly touted quarterbacks on campus. And now, on Monday night, Mr. Wolfong puts in five crystal balls <laughs> or, you know, top-of-the-list players at their positions, and this would springboard the class up into pretty rarefied air. Um, just a review here. Crystal ball for the uninitiated Chris. They look into a crystal ball, they use all their intel, and they make a prediction, but the prediction is on a scale of how firmly they feel about things. And these were not all 100% lead pipe locks, but he feels pretty good about him. You mentioned he's known as the Oracle. So my first question would be, how serious should these predictions be taken? Here we are, middle of June. Pretty serious. Uh, I mean, for the... I, I Again, we're talking, still have, what, six months until signing day, so that's always a thing. We are talking about a couple kids that are... South Florida recruits, and if you guys will recall, uh, Dana basically stopped recruiting in South Florida because of all the games and stuff that get played down there. It's never as cut it like recruiting is never cut and dry ever anywhere with anybody. Uh, very rarely does that happen. Um, it's just extra quirky, I guess, is a, a polite word to use here with South Florida recruiting. Um, and Dana essentially pulled out of there in the last couple of years of his time at West Virginia and, and Mountaineers weren't hitting it too hard the first couple of years of Neil Brown's time here, but then they switched Travis Trickett, not entirely like switched him off of Jersey, but really told him to, you know, put your focus there. And all of a sudden this is happening. You know, guys from that area are very interested, very are coming up on official visits. You got West Virginia top schools, all this stuff, and then not only that, but then you got uh, Nico Marchial, the quarterback, who has already had a bunch of twists and turns in his recruitment. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot still to come with all these, even if like 
all five of those people that that Will Fong predicted commit tomorrow, there still be probably ten more twists and turns before December. But Steve does not make crystal ball picks lightly. He is, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to dog myself here, but I kind of stopped doing crystal balls because I just didn't pay enough attention to them. I would put one in like a year and a half before a kid signed, and then forget that I even did it. And things change with the recruitment, and I'd forget to go back and change it or switch it to another school. Steve stays on top of his stuff, and he hits. I think it's like ninety-eight percent with like hundreds and hundreds of picks. Not we're not talking like nine out of ten. We're talking like you know five hundred and sixty out of five hundred and sixty-eight stuff like that kind of thing. So he's serious about it. He watches it closely. He is very much dialed in, and for him to kind of jump on that and not only make these picks but to write a story about it, drawing attention to all these picks with quotes from the recruits, it tells you how serious he is about these, these picks. Okay, so even more to unpack there. <laughs> well done on the answer. But, but I want to I speak slowly for people like me here that see this and are, are, you know, think it's right to get excited because at the very least, it's, it's right to get excited about this. But uh, speak to two audiences here. There are, there are the people in the middle who follow this closely and they know better because of what you just described. And they're going to tend toward the people who are reserved and hesitant right now. And then there's going to be people who lean toward, hey, it's on, you know, top five class. Let's let's put that to the side. Now, the other, the other two groups I want you to talk to are the people who don't know, but see recruiting as, eh, talk to me after that date in December, talk to me after that date in February. And then there are the people who want the best for their team and see this good news and say, heck yeah, top five class. Um you mentioned a long way to go, twists and turns for like Marquial, South Florida. Um, so down the middle here, I guess. I don't know. Is it is it worth being invested in right now? Because again, someone has plugged in as Steve. Hey, this is probably pretty good intel, and it's it's certainly worth following. Or we're months and months away from December. Never mind February. A whole lot could happen in between then and now. Um, but yeah, follow it closely because these are good signs already. Yeah. Yeah. I've followed it closely because this is also, I mean, one, as you mentioned, these aren't just like five random kids that Steve's predicting that go to WVU. This is West Virginia's, and, and this isn't like, a, you know, after the fact kind of change in history revisionist look at, at the recruiting board. This is like for a while now, the top quarterback, the top cornerback, the top linebacker and two of the top safeties on West Virginia's recruiting board. <laughs> like that doesn't happen. Like not even Alabama. Now Alabama is recruiting like all five-star kids, but not even Alabama is getting like, you know, their top, top, top target at every single position. Now West Virginia is not either right now, but to have like the five top guys at five different spots, again, hasn't happened yet, but predicted that is, that is not something West Virginia is used to doing. Uh, that is not something that has happened. As Steve noted in that story, hasn't been a top 25 recruiting class in over a decade. But you get those five, you're well on your way. Because also, recruiting is, a, there's a snowball effect in it. And if, you, if, if kids are sitting there and maybe they got you know West Virginia in their top five, but don't have a visit lined up yet, they're kind of serious about it, but not really. And then they're like, wait, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. 
how many four stars just committed to to West Virginia? Wait, that big time quarterback that you know threw 10, 10 touchdown passes at that seven on seven event I played in is there? Wait, that All American cornerback's there? Wait, I, I need to get another look at this, and and it kind of builds from there. So if you can get a few commits, you kind of build that excitement, not just in the fan base, but with recruits. And so we're talking, you get these five or four, like, you know, three of the five, four of the five. I mean, five of five is nuts. But if something even close to that happens, it could start snowballing into, you know, a lot of success on the recruiting trail over the next several months. Just the the article alone and the headline and then on Twitter and Facebook is worth so much credibility. Um, And it gets tossed around and the kids start seeing it and, you know, they're coming, they're excited about it, maybe more than they were before. Maybe they're going to make it stop now officially or unofficially because of what they saw. That's good. So the fact that they're open and they have people, you know, on campus is one thing. But the fact that they're open with the people who are covering it, you know, up closer from afar, that's that's certainly significant. It all spins around, too. Uh, Let's go back to that 2009 class, by the way. Headline by Geno Smith. Also in the class. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. This is this is the uh, the disclaimer for eh, maybe. You'll be excited because you want great things, but understand that's a process, and, and who knows? It doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, Geno Smith, one of four four-stars in the class. The other three, Logan Hasty, Eugene right. Smith, <laughs> and Tavita Finau. Yeah, that, the, the, double, the double Geno thing needs to be corrected in that <laughs> database. Uh, yeah. But man, yeah, that God, that was the Boyd DeHisti class. Yeah, so... If I'm correct here, Gino and Eugene Smith are the same. So it's really three four stars. Gino, Logan Heasty, Tavita Fanal. And then just some other top names that I'm sure you all recognize. Chris Snook, Jordan Weingart, Dacon Hargret, Roderick Jenkins, Cole Bowers, Ryan Spiker, Pat Miller, Jonathan Scott, Bronco Busick. Curtis fight was pretty good. Tage Redmond, Terrence Moore, your best players in the class. Let's see here. Oh man, we also forgot guys like Tavon Stedman. Well, actually, this was quite a class, wasn't it? Three stars. Wool Clark. Oh yeah, yeah, because they were separated between sign. I was like, wait, how'd you forget Tavon and Stedman? But yeah, Tavon Stedman, um, Will Clark. Yeah, those guys are because they're listed as enrolled and signed and different things. But yeah, Gino, Tavon, Stedman. This needs a coat of paint. Uh, so yeah, so you can get excited about Gino, Tavon, Stedman. Dion Long was a really good college player who didn't last year. Um, Tavita Fanau, everybody gets that one. But uh, And then some guys who actually were good players but weren't high-quality players. Four stars, Terrence Garvin, Sean Austin. Um, I said uh, Curtis Fight, Nick Kindler, Pat Egger. And then you get down to some of the other players who signed. Um, I don't know. Those are those are. It's quite a mixed bag. Like I said, it probably um, again is a good cautionary tale, but also at the same time, there's players in there to be excited about too. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, and well, if you look at the couple classes before that, I think they're true. You know, I know it said 2009, and I think we kind of want to dismiss that because I think they count Geno twice there to get into that top 25 ranking. So maybe 2007, and that was another top 25 class. And you look at that. That's and the only reason I think that was in there was because of Noel Devine. You get such a boost by getting a five-star, you know, top 10 overall player. But, I mean, Ellis Langster, pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Pat Lazier, pretty good. Brad Starks, okay. Sidney Glover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gino Gradkowski, to, you know, 
didn't really pan out here, but ended up being a pretty darn good player in NFL. Um, Ian Smith, Brandon Hogan, Don Barclay, Julian Miller. That's not a bad class. Jock Sanders, Keith Candy. I mean, you stroll down there and you find a lot of talented players in that class. Chris, you got to fix this 2009 class. I know. The listing online is not conducive to a podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> Too bad. Um, is Markiel the domino that has to fall for others to follow? Because what I'm told is that he's a really good player, left-handed quarterback, separate conversation, but he's a really good recruiter. And I don't know what the evidence is to that because he hasn't signed with a college anywhere. Um, and also, he's decommitted, which means he went to Florida State initially, said, I like it, I'm going to commit to no fault of his own. They got a second quarterback. But, man, if he was the Pied Piper bringing all these recruits to Tallahassee, they certainly wouldn't let him go or maybe, like, threaten his position with a second quarterback. So I don't know where we get that from. But is he the key part of this? Does he fall first and others follow? Is he separate? Or is that all much ado about nothing? I think... You start with he's a quarterback, and the quarterbacks are usually your go-to, you know, peer recruiter. The guy that you know, Garrett Green was really good at it. Mm-hmm. Will Crowder uh, was known to to talk to a few guys. So I think that's where it starts. Is that he's a quarterback, and quarterbacks are looked at to do that to to, to try to bring other people in, um, and then that is enhanced, I, I guess by the fact that he is so vocal on social media. He's very much involved. Uh, he's always tweeting, Instagramming, posting videos, and not just of himself, but of other recruits, uh, you know, sharing those, posting them with other guys. So I think the fact that he's so visible and plays such a high-profile position, it, it, you know, I don't know how many person-to-person conversations he's having with recruits, talking to them one-on-one on the phone, like, you know, without anybody knowing about it, being the K come to West Virginia. But he does do a lot of public stuff that can kind of be like bring attention to the class, to the school, and maybe make a player or two think about West Virginia a little more. Would it be unethical for Sean Reagan to send him the 24-7 sports link about NCAA investigation in Arizona State? <laughs> uh I, are, are are we having ethics in college football now? I, I, I guess I is my Sean, counter. I think Sean just wants the young man to know the news. That's all. Yeah, it, it, it's presenting facts as we know them, and I, I, it's it's honestly it's kind of hard for uh, Mark Hill not to see that out there going yeah. public right now. It's kind of all over the place. Um, and it looks like getting worse. I just saw something stroll through my feed a second ago that it's not just they heard about it and they're looking into it. But the NCAA has screenshots, receipts, emails. It's like, hey, uh, they got a mole in Tempe. They got they got somebody ratting them out. Somebody is telling them everything. Because if they have that much evidence, that's not a good look for them. I um I was having a text conversation with someone earlier about this, and that person said this is a fireable offense. Like yeah. some, someone's got to go. I don't know if it's the head coach, a head of compliance, the ED, whatever, but like this seems like it's potentially so egregious. And again, like just the one thing you couldn't do for more than a year. And they were just like, eh, let's do it. And there's no way they're alone either. So <laughs> like there's going to be, I don't know, I imagine there might be some more of this. But um, hey, if Mark Yall is going out there and this is the cloud over that program, I, I don't know what type of mood they're going to be in out there, how you know gracious of visitors they'll be how many times they're going to want to talk about it, because I'm sure they're going to be asked questions about it. Um, 
or at least it'll be in the room with them if it's not spoken it'll be certainly present in other other means but um boy timing is everything in this and this is a heck of a this is a heck of a thing to pack in your 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 carry-on bag if you're west virginia and he's making that trip out there well i guess it's not much of a trip because he's from arizona too but um man it, it can't hurt right uh, I'm I'm actively looking up the entire football coaching staff over at Arizona State to see if there just happens to be somebody with WVU ties, like that's a <laughs> you know working in the compliance department, helping out as like a consultant or something like that. Because yeah, the uh, the timing on this right the, the day after you know all the buzz about some crystal ball picks going for him to West Virginia. And as he's posting, I think like within a couple hours of him posting about how he's going on an official visit to Arizona State. Now that's that's old news. Everybody knew he was going, but he he tweets out with a picture of him going to Arizona State. And a couple hours later, boom, a little story comes out about Arizona State having some NCAA violations. I don't see any familiar names, so I don't I don't know who West Virginia has to thank yet, but I guess we'll find out. I've obtained audio from the Pushkar Center, Chris. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, hey, Sean, it's Neil. Um, r- release the Kraken. <laughs> Just let it out. It happened. Coming up, seven-on-seven seven camp. This is very different from elite camps. I guess there's kind of a two-for-one you can explain here, too, but um, you get so much of the, the testing, you know, 40 times vertical jumps, shuttle drills, and then you get the... The one-on-one stuff. I think you call it the cat and mouse. Mm-hmm. The you know running routes and catching passes. There's a big man component to this, but there's also going to be seven-on-seven stuff in which there are no big men on the field. Seven-on-seven, um, but this can be beneficial. It's also kind of a different phase for the for the evaluations too. Um, better players, better to have more teams and thus more people on campus. What are the pros and cons of this? What's different? What should be something that we pay attention to? Uh, first, I want to see what it, how it is different than the past. Because in the past, it was a two-day event with like a hundred teams, a hundred high schools. And I think I, I, I'm, I haven't actually asked somebody there, so I don't want to put it words in anybody's mouth. But it seems pretty obvious that part of the reason they're doing it the way they are this year, instead of one two-day event, it's two one-day events. There's one on Friday and then another one next Wednesday, is partly to cut down on the number of people that are there. And also because with that two-day event, the teams that were traveling were staying in the dorm rooms at West Virginia. And I'm assuming there's some kind of, you know, liability issue with that because of everything going on right now. So I'm curious how they're going to change that around because usually, you know, you had pool play on, on you know, the night, the one evening and a little bit in the morning. And then you start a big double elimination tournament and it goes all day long. So I'm curious to see how that works out in a one-day event, if it's just kind of a shortened version of that. Mm. But also, which teams show up? Because I've heard, you know, there's some high schools that said, hey, we kind of have restrictions on how many we can travel with and where we can travel, and some that just flat out can't travel as a team right now. So I'm curious who's going to show up. we got a few teams that we already know about. But the perk here is there's two. I mean, there's probably more than two, but the first two that come to my mind are one, it's going to bring some guys that maybe might not have come on their own, like for an official visit or a visit on their own. Okay. And, and they, and they get a look at West Virginia as if they're on a visit and get treated like 
a star and get treated like a recruit because I'm thinking first person that comes to my mind is Shelton Gibson from, he was at Cleveland Heights and he was kind of, you know, talking to West Virginia a little bit, but then his high school team came to the seven on seven and then Shelton Gibson came. Um, Imatep with Tyke Smith and a bunch of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. West Virginia was in with them and talked to them and they had talked about coming to visit and that team always comes and that team always comes and brings a boatload of FBS prospects. And that's like a first crack for those coaches to kind of get one-on-one with them to recruit them. And that leads me to the second big perk uh, as far as a recruiting standpoint here is for the most part, the coaching staff is not like doing, they're, they're not coaching. They're not refereeing. Like the graduate assistants are doing a lot of the refereeing. Um, the coaches will be doing some stuff about organizing where guys go, but for the most part, they're just watching, scouting, and recruiting. Now, two summers ago, when we were watching the 7-on-7 and the big man camp, they would, like the 7-on-7, they play a game, and then uh, sometimes they might have like three, four hours of doing nothing. Uh, or the big man do their stuff in the morning, and then the 7-on-7 still going on, but the big men can't leave until the 7 on sevens done because the whole team's leaving together. So they're just hanging around. And we would see Wyatt Millam, for instance. Matt Moore just says, well, your team's still playing in the 7-on-7. Seven seven. Hop on the old golf cart here and let's ride back and check out all the facilities. And let's me and you hang out. And occasionally, and then you'll just start seeing throughout the day during these breaks, coaches, different coaches with different top-level recruits just hanging out, getting tours of the facility, sitting up above the weight room um, in those chairs right near the coaches' offices, just watching the games and chatting. And, and it's a real opportunity to bond with these recruits in a sit in, in a kind of like situation where you might not think this is an ideal recruiting spot. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's always some feistiness to this too, right? There's some trash oh, talking. Boy. There's some comp- competition. There's angry parents. This is um. This can be fun. Um, my... So my father-in-law is a referee and I was telling, he was asking me about it because he does a lot of seven on seven tournaments or used to. And I told him there was a couple years there where they had referees, like they outsourced it, paid referees. And it was like a training program for guys. And it was like one veteran referee and one rookie referee and they worked it together. So each game had a, had a guy in training and a veteran ref and there was still some kind of fighting and, you know, the usual stuff that just comes with all sports and occasionally it got out of hand. You know, I remember one year there's a team from Maryland that had a couple of West Virginia recruits on it and they got into a full fledged, like almost full fledged fist fight with, it was, it was a West Virginia high school and I can't remember who it was, but it was, it was one of the final four or final eight games. And it was, you know, it was one of the traditional West Virginia powers either, uh, Fairmont or Martinsburg or, or Spring Valley just almost got into a full fight with them. And then said three years ago, 
where St. Francis Academy mm-hmm. and um, and Emotep, I think, or somebody, they uh, got in another fist fight. There was a, f- a full fist fight, and and that was the year that they switched back to GA's referee in the games. And once they switched back to GA's graduate assistants and and other like student managers and stuff referee in these games, I do feel like it got worse. And you saw more pushing, more fighting, more all sorts of stuff. I mean, I have a picture that can't remember if I ever posted it of a, a, a full-on fist fight and you know members of the previous staff out there grabbing guys trying to separate a, a, a all-out brawl and what was it oh the other thing and then of course you get to some in-state schools they had this thing with the previous staff where they thought that you know Dana and his staff did not you know appreciate the in-state talent and you would hear from the sidelines, from parents, from assistant coaches, screaming at the graduate assistants, screaming at the coaches that they were purposefully calling bad plays or calling bad penalties, fake penalties, calling it in a way to benefit the teams where they were recruiting players and screwing the in-state teams. And then that just goes on all day, all day. And it's, it's, it's exhausting to hear it all, all the time. Uh, I remember one WVU assistant essentially telling, turning uh, one that I would not want to mess around with, uh, Dan Gerberry, uh, mm-hmm. not a small man. And there was an assistant coach for one of the West Virginia teams who accused him of slanting his calls in order to benefit the other team because the other team had two West Virginia targets on their team. And Gerberry had to be restrained because he came right over to that guy. It was like I'm not I'm not listening to this, I'm not listening to it. And he, and he was right. Like it was it's it's like something that's just imagined in their head. I guess I don't know, but there's always something going on. Like you said, there's it's just people are angry, they're mad, they're fighting, they're yelling things. It's it's an it's a sight to see. That's Friday morning, and then into Friday <laughs> afternoon, I guess Monday yeah. elite camp. So this is going to keep happening here. Um, just to set the score here, um, one known commit out of all this which i means six now in the 22 class what's the the status of silent commits the that's the right answer, answer. That's yeah, the right yeah answer. it's just i don't know i we kind of talked about it on the last pod i don't whatever your stance is on the, the social media posts and some fans, they, they see the social media posts and they want answers right away. And that's just not what this staff's going to do. My understanding is that it's also not just a situation where a guy's like, Hey, I want to commit. And they're like, all right, send out the social media bat signal. Let's go. Um, it's more serious than that. Uh, my understanding is that again, you noted there were four, Four bat signals that went up saying that West Virginia got to commit. Only one has gone public, which means there's three silent. And I was told that there might have been a couple more that also told the staff, hey, I want to commit. But there was kind of a, you know, everybody in their circle, their family, their coaches, their trainers, whoever's close to them in their inner circle needs to be on board with that. And you know, it seemed like for a couple of those guys, 
that was not the case. And so you didn't get the bat signal. Um, with the ones that you did, I, my understanding is the staff was led to believe everybody close to this person, all on the same page, all ready for this person to be at WVU. And of course that can change, especially since if the three players that were talking about being silent have all kind of gone on other visits since then. So you, you got to watch out for that because things can change always when you get guys on campus, things can change. And that's, that's the danger of doing the, the, the bat signal early. But as noted last week, we have not had any false call outs from the staff. Not once has the staff done a let's go tweet and that commitment did not come to fruition. So Fong esque. Yeah, I say if Will Fong's hitting at 98%, the staff is hitting at 100%. Um, at, at some point, every single person that they sent out a let's go tweet about eventually went public with a verbal commitment to West Virginia. So it, you're never wrong till you are wrong. So it, I guess it's still possible, but let's, I just want to have that piece of information out there for anybody that's just overly worried right now. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, brief thoughts. College football playoff. Um, do you think it happens? When do you think it happens? Soon. The switch to 12? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't see the reason to wait much longer. than. I mean, I guess this year you're kind of already set. I don't know how much tweaking they can do on the um, like television deals or bowl agreements, but... Unless there's some big legal issues with that, I don't see why we can't just get to it for, you know, the 2022 season. Okay. Do you like 12? Would you rather eight and six? No, I've, I've been always been a proponent of eight. I like the idea of eight. I like the idea of the each power five champion, the top rated group of five team, and then two wild, the two wild cards, uh, the highest rated teams. I, I think I, I, I'm not saying 12 is terrible. I guess that would have been my second pick after eight. But once you get to 12, now you're talking about a team playing 17 games. That's the same amount as an NFL team. Like, if we're going to play 17 games, just come right out and say, don't give a damn about the student part of student athlete. Just say it. Just get it out of the way and just say it. Um, And there is a little bit of me that was, I don't know, the people that were originally against any kind of playoff that just wanted one versus two, and that was it. Their argument was, oh, this will dilute the regular season. I don't think that's the case. I think once you went to four, it was still good. You know, it still means something every yeah. single week. And eight, cause, because if you put the emphasis on winning your conference, it still makes every single game so important. So I don't think eight is going to dilute it at all. Twelve you're getting close to maybe diluting it a little bit, I think. But um, I was amazed, amazed, which is sad because you shouldn't be amazed that um, people in this business for 40 years and making millions of dollars are just now figuring this out. But when you only had two or four teams and, and it was the same two or four teams all the time, that that was diluting the regular season yeah, just in a different way. To see them finally figure that out themselves, that was encouraging. So it tells me that they're they're ready to make a move, um, if necessary. So that that's a good sign. 
Yeah, I don't know if they can get it done in time this year, not only for the TV contracts, because there, there's so much more money out there. Um, you're talking, I mean, you're going from three games to 11. That's eight more games. Are you going, I don't know, three times the money? There's there's going to be more money, so they have to find a way to do that. I don't know if they can do that and also keep the bowls in charge, because I think you're losing four bowls, if I remember correctly. Um, that's one. Number two... It seems like finally they're going to have something uniform with the conferences. Like, I, I mean, maybe conference games, non-conference games, but it may also have to do with divisions and getting rid of divisional play just so you have your best two teams. So, for example, you may have Alabama and LSU being the number one and two teams in the country, but they can't play in the SEC title game, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you may you may see things like that. And then another thing I heard, which is kind of interesting, and it might be a group of five thing, but what was kind of cool this past year um, – like the BYU Coastal Carolina game that just came together, they threw one together, and that was really good for both those programs. Um, there might have been one or two more like that where they're just like, "Listen, we have a hole in the schedule. We could use this boost to get into the you know the the CFP, not the Final Four. Maybe maybe like an access game. Could there be like schedule openings built in to the future here where?" You say like, listen, we don't have, you know, we have a championship game, or that we need another data point, or something like that. You know, could two group of five teams play something like that that would like elevate one of those teams clearly in, and that's going to have to be built into schedules, and maybe sooner than later if you're going to go into this too. So I think there's, I think cool stuff's going to come out of this. You know, we play two power fives if you're West Virginia non-conference play, maybe not, but like you're going to have to play them. Um, you're probably going to keep FCS teams, but you may have some fun Power Five, Group of Five series that happen now, not just a one-off game. You may have some series. There, there's some cool potential here because it just expands so much, and I kind of wish that they would put like a scheduling mandate in that says you can only play or you have to play this many. You have to go on the road once, something like that. I wonder if there'll be things like that because like if you're going to do this, there has to be some uniformity. But I often wonder, like, what were the other like 60 ideas that they had? They had 63 <laughs> permutations of this, and they came down to like. Well, we have four. The only other ones could be like eight, ten, and twelve. What were the other sixty? Yeah, uh, <laughs> like seven teams. <laughs> do you think they uh, like hired one of those consulting firms that helps them with the coaching searches? Just like, yeah, figure this out for us. So like, uh, eight or twelve. That'll be a million dollars. You're welcome. Like, what the heck is going on? Uh, and speaking we- of millions of dollars, um, our, our my basketball breaking news from last week that I guess has kind of happened, but had heard that Sean McNeil did not get a combine invite to either the G league or the NBA. And that's ultimately what happened. He's not on the list for either one of them. Um, the, the tea leaves are the tea leaves right now. So you might see news on that sooner or later, but not surprisingly, miles McBride does have a combine invite. This is going to go on for another three weeks. I would imagine now, like there's no reason for him to go and then just quickly come back to West Virginia there's every incentive for him to go play as hard as he can for as long as he can and then spend time afterwards trying to figure out where am I in the first round, where am I in the second round, and then is this as good as it's going to get for me? I don't know. Um, the upside for him to come back and have a great season probably elevates him, but, man, there's some there's some zeros and commas out there if he has a good a good run in this this combine and he's a you know low eh, to, to low middle first-round pick. I've been kind of sticking. I'll, I'll stick with my same stance on McBride uh, from before. If he can guarantee that he is a first round pick, he's got to go. Um, if he can't guarantee that, 
I, I feel like he's got to come back just because the the way the contracts are in the NBA, if you're not a first rounder, your contract's not guaranteed. Period. Uh, we always you see second rounders all the time get drafted, show up with a team, and a week later, you know, not a week later, but a month or so later, they're in Europe or in the G League, G League making you know forty thousand dollars. And so I think if his stock is rising, and it seems like it's rising, or or at least I don't know if it's rising or if people are starting to think that NBA teams are very serious about him, because I don't recall his name showing up in mock drafts in the first round like three months ago, mm-hmm. two months ago. And now I feel like we're seeing it a lot, which tells me that either he's doing something that's moving himself up or people are getting intel that's telling them, NBA teams are serious about him. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree that NBA mock drafts are a bit more informed. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the reporters work closer with the teams, and they're they're and you may not get the exact order right, but if if ten front office people tell you that McBride's a first round pick, you probably have a good reason to put him like in the low twenties in your mock. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's probably what's happening right now. And the thing is, it'll all change if he goes there and puts up a couple of good games and he works out well in interviews well. He's just going to zoom up the boards and. I don't know if it's 50-50, if it's 60-40, one way or the other right now, but he, this is an exciting time for him. And again, if you're West Virginia, hey, you're recruiting a guard um, in the Big 12 who can go pro after two years. That's going to talk to a lot of people. That's not bad news for Bob Huggins. And I would imagine at this point, um, Huggins is probably by and large out of the conversation, not not maliciously. I think he can sell McBride today what he could sell him on July 6th. But this is going to come down to McBride and, and a family that's that's been through basketball before. Um, the dad played college basketball. The mom was a college athlete. The brother's playing playing college basketball, I believe. Um, they're they're no dummies. They're informed. They're going to talk to the right people and I think make um, an informed decision here. But the bummer for you all is that it's probably three weeks away still. You want some good news? Can I leave everybody on a cliffhanger? Do it. Are we wrapping up like last time? <laughs> Man, I can hardly remember what happened last time we were on the podcast. It's been too crazy this last week. But um, not McBride-related, not McNeil-related. But I have a feeling we're going to get some good news for WV Hoops before that three-week window you're talking about with McBride. So uh, stay tuned. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think things are going to look good for West Virginia basketball. At CM Anderson 247 on Twitter. Wasn't me, it was Chris. So not happy <laughs> about that. T, send it to him. Until next time, I'm Mike Azaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.